Why, hello and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org. And my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. So my guest today is Lenny Splendorio. He was one of the heads of the Buy Our Records record label, the premier hardcore label in New Jersey. Quite a legacy there, which he'll talk about. Lenny is a drummer. who's in Devil House, Bedlam, Hearse, among others. And he does a lot of work for United for Autism. He will tell us all about that. Today's podcast only has truncated versions of the songs that are on Lenny's playlist. This show was originally from April 4th, 2013. I've edited out most of what is outdated material. And we have a good time. Good afternoon, everybody. Oh, Lenny Splendorio is here. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Di. You have such a long resume in terms of who you are in the in the realm of punk and music from New Jersey. I look good on paper. And I could add I could add DJ to that list now. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Primarily, I guess I I well, you know, I did. I met you at a Stranglers show. Yes, that was in. I don't know what year, but the year that the Men in Black album came out, they played at Creations in West Orange, and yeah. that's where we met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that was that was way that was before Buy Our Records for by a couple of years. Yeah, um, 1983. Mm-hmm. We have known each other ever since, and and I guess one of the main things that you're known for being is um, the the figurehead operations manager. And what's the term that you like to call yourself in reference to the Buy Our Records label? I don't know. We just did it all. It started out with just me and Jim Dunleavy. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my friend Chris Vieri came on. Who Chris uh, Chris runs his own, he's a director of Ghost Limb Films. And I want to just tell everybody about that for a second. He has uh, a new movie coming out called Sweet Lorraine, and everyone should check out on YouTube. Oh, really? Uh, You could see the uh, the trailer for this movie. It's going to be really good. Stars. uh, Who's in that now? Tatum O'Neill. Really? 
Oh, Chris is and, gone. Uh, so yeah, that was it. Was the three of us, and then Dominic, who now goes by the name of Aaron. Oh. Uh, but it was the, that was it. Mm-hmm. And we were just fans of music, and we were playing in bands. Jim was playing in Bedlam, Adrenaline OD put out the first record, Let's Barbecue. Right. Paul coined the name by our records because it was very, very much of Paul's humor. Mm-hmm. So, and that was it. And we, the second record that came out was the Bedlam album. And from there, we just did it. If we liked the band, we would put your record out. And, and that was it. I think we didn't stick to a format, and that's what was the demise of Buy Our Records. We started as a punk label, but then we branched out into other stuff and... Well, and th- some of those records that you put out were really sort of gutsy moves to to put out at the time, and there was a lot of sort of more like no wave, weird, and inf- I don't want to say weird, um, other things coming out like like the Honeymoon Killers. Well, it started with Children in Adult Jails first. That was the first. Did you not think that that was a hardcore record? No. <laughs> and I, but I love the band, and that was it. My first producing of a, of a band. We did that together, you and mm-hmm, I. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then after that. Yes, Honeymoon Killers, Pussy Galore, yeah, um, Big Stick, and yeah. a lot of the, uh, that stuff didn't fly with the kids that just were buying hardcore records, and I think it kind of alienated them a little bit. Well, and you tried to teach them, didn't you? We like what we like. <laughs> we, you know, if, you know, Warner Brothers Records put out Black Sabbath and the association right so yeah i always thought we could do it too but right yeah and we put out the skulls and raging slab mm-hmm. before the grunge explosion and it was like what is this rock and roll crap you guys are putting out and right we were a little too early with that but but all said and done i mean really if you look at the buyer records roster it's it's pretty amazing from when it goes from what to what uh, I think so. I, I mean, I love doing it. Our last release was a Zydeco band, Lucky Seven, which was totally off the. You know, I saw that on the ro- I saw that on uh, I guess Discography or Discogs.com or whatever, and I actually thought that it was incorrect because there is another Buyer Records in Massachusetts. And I thought, oh, this no, is that other label. That was us. They were good. They were a little rockabilly, but Zydeco and Cajun oh. and still rock and roll. Very cool record. Mm. Uh, but you know, that was it. Oh, that's my mistake. I had no idea. The Love Dolls from California, mm-hmm. PMS from New York. Yes. I mean, we had a good run of stuff. Hopefully someday it'll resurface a little bit. Are there any plans or do you have any ideas about what you wanted, you would like to do with the catalog? Well, I'd like to have a compilation come out where a few songs of each band, mm-hmm. uh, just so it's represented out there and mm-hmm. actually in a format of a CD or vinyl. Yeah. And I'd like to do it as a, um, a fundraising album. I'm very... Uh, organized in the uh, field of autism because mm-hmm. I work in the field uh, have a son with autism and this is uh, Autism Awareness Month in April so oh yeah it is and uh, so I would like to do that have a, a charity record mm-hmm. or have all the funds go to something like that oh that's cool and you have um, you're you're a member of Devil House now and yes. you guys have a gig coming up in the, uh, this month that we could talk about yeah mm-hmm. the Autism Awareness uh, show it's going to be the second one that we did last year also at Maxwell's mm-hmm It'll be on the 28th of April on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Start late afternoon. Uh, Sid Barrett, Devil House, um, Buzzard Wagon, and Platinum Load will play. Mm-hmm. It'll run between like 6 and 10. And uh, it'll be a $10 donation. And uh, all the, um, the funds will go towards uh, an organization my wife runs called United by Autism. Oh, wow. Which uh, we supply educational materials for schools in New Jersey and... 
all types of stuff. She's a busy girl, and you could always check out that. Uh, it's unitedbyautism.org, mm-hmm. and you can check out uh, that site. Cool, and this is the second year you've done that? Yeah, at, we did it last year at Maxwell's as well. Autism.org. Cool. And uh, and then Devil House has a couple other shows coming up, is that well, right? Well, we're going to play tomorrow night uh, at Dingbats on, uh, in Clifton on Van Houten Avenue. And uh, it's a rock and art showcase, so there's going to be vendors. Uh, across the street at Dingbats, they're going to have, uh, they're going to be selling artwork and other crafts and stuff that they make, and then bands will be playing at, uh, at Dingbats across the way. So one's Dingo's... Yeah, Dingo's Den is, is right it? across the street, uh-huh. and that's where the artwork is going to be on display. And oh, at, I see. At Dingbats, we're going to play. It's uh, another band, Body, F- Body Farm Robbery, Devil House, Validation, Xenophile, Skunk Days, and Guac. That's the lineup for How tomorrow How do you spell night. Guac? G-U-A-C-K, if I'm pronouncing it right. Oh, okay. I'm just saying guacks. So. Yeah. <laughs> guac, but, uh, guac. Yeah, that's tomorrow That's night. why I asked for the spelling, because yeah. I'm know i not sure I know the word guac. And Devil House. We're going to go on around 9 tomorrow, so come on down and see us. Mm-hmm. And you guys are a hard-working band. Yeah, we have a lot of, have a lot of shows coming up. You could uh, always check. We have a website. It's devilhouse.net. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we got a Facebook page, Reverb Nation page, and uh, we have three songs on iTunes that... Uh, for you people that don't buy music physically, you could download it. Isn't it weird, the concept of music just, I mean, you know, when you appreciate music, it is just sort of in the air, and it's, you know, penetrating your ears, but the whole idea of it not being physical. No, I don't like it. I hate it. I mean, <laughs> all the songs on my iPod I own physically that I transferred on there, it's I come from the days of buying an album and opening it up and reading the liner notes and looking at the pictures. And oh, yeah, and you used to work in record stores, too. So w- you have that whole background of sure. really just bricks and mortar, like music is a storefront. I worked at record stores for years until uh, the business got bad. I was laid off, and then I got into the field of uh, education to help uh, my son and other kids with autism. So it's yeah, it's great. <laughs> but, the but I miss, you know... I miss the whole physical thing of an album. I was a Kiss fan. When you buy that, you got a little chakas inside and the whole bit. It's oh, yeah. Now it's, you know. Right now. You get a download, you get nothing. Just like <laughs> a song floating out in space that could just go away. Right. It's like, oh, we hope you like this. Sure. And, and, that's, and that's really it. Yeah, and especially being, I mean, you worked in record stores and were a record label guy for a while. I mean, when, so when, when Buyer Records first started, it was just vinyl. Right. Yeah, because back then, that's that was the primary thing. Then we eventually, we put some things on a cassette. Oh, you did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a few things. And then uh, the, the first CD we did put out was the Wacky Hijinks album came out on CD. Oh, so that was a reissue? No, that's we, we actually okay. put that out. Oh, Bio Records did. Oh, okay. And uh, then we did a deal with this label in the Netherlands called Semaphore, mm-hmm. and they put out the Flag of Democracy 23 record, and they put out um, the Honeymoon Killers, the second one that, that we did. I can't even remember the name of it right now, but they mm-hmm. issued that on CD. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's got to be different to be in a, at a label doing things physically. I mean, you know, you get 
like you said, like Devil House has things up on iTunes. It's like you record it, it goes up on iTunes. But we put out a You're, CD. We made yes. a, yeah. We pulled our money together and put out a, a three-song CD. Right, because you have appreciation for the sure. the the actual feel I didn't, for, oh, I, for 3D yeah. music. I needed you know? that. I need to. Yeah. Have, I couldn't just be in a band. We had to have something to give away or sell or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what would what would it be like being part of a record label now if nothing was actual product? If I had money, I'd still want to have a record label, and I would do all the modern stuff you're supposed to, but I'd want to put it out on vinyl and CD, especially vinyl has such a big resurgence. Everyone seems to like it again these days. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hey, um, there's a sort of um, a notorious split 7-inch that you guys put out, the, um, the uh, Bedlam AOD split. Sure, it was going to come out on a flexi disc mm -hmm. that I gave away with a fanzine that I put out, and the pressing company, Evertone Plastics down in Florida, they sent us back a letter, there's too, many, too much profanity on it and they wouldn't press it. So we <laughs> just pressed it up ourselves and uh, I don't even know how many copies we did. But I we sat in Jim's basement and uh, we hand wrote things on the labels. I remember Jack from AOD was writing all types of funny stuff and they were hand numbered and that was it. Yeah, yeah. One side was AOD and one side was Bedlam. Yeah, and I, I actually have two copies of that record because I found, I can't remember where I bought it, but I remember going through and there was a stack of them at whatever store I was at. It, it was a fairly, it was probably like three inches of like the same seven inch. I went through them all and I found two that had the same number. That's good. You can sell that on eBay if you yeah. want. <laughs> I was like, oh, look, I'm like, oh, I've got the, t I have, you know, and I was like, so this, the uh, the numbering is, is off. Yeah, it was somewhere. all hand, hand numbered and everything. Yeah, so was, what number do you have? Yeah. Oh I, oh, I wrote it too. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so I was like, oh, good. I got two of the same ones. So. But um, were you the first label to um, to release any Pussy Galore material? No, they. I don't know if John did it himself, but Shove Records put out that first seven inch. Okay. And they were still living in Washington. And I remember I got a phone number and I called up, and uh, someone told me, "Oh, they just moved to New York City." And I was like, "Oh, that was great." <laughs> and I found out where they lived, and they were they were playing at uh, the Pyramid Club, which was their first New York show. Hmm. I was earlier in the night, I was seeing Rodney Dangerfield down at the Garden State Arts Center, wow. which is called whatever PNC now. Yeah, so yeah. I went with, right from there, I left and I drove to see them at uh, the Pyramid Club. Mm. And uh, I became friends with John and I was proud of getting that because I know that other people wanted to put the record out, but uh, he let us press up a, a limited pressing. I think we ended up doing, I know first it was 5,000 for Pussy Gold 5,000, but maybe we did another two. So there might be 7,000 of them that were. Oh, wow. Made, so. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was one of those bands that I really felt was a was kind of a big deal for the label, just because it really was a it was a newer thing, and and to me a newer band and a newer. It wasn't the same old. I don't want to say same old because I really loved a lot of the bands, and I you know know so many of the people from the label. Right. Um, but it was it was definitely a departure for Bayer Records. I felt, yeah, and uh, and a really cool direction that music was going into. No, I, I loved it. It's, I, it's still one of my favorite records that the band put out. That mm -hmm. lineup is my favorite lineup that they did, and with John and Christina and Julie and Bob and Neil. That was uh, mm. my favorite yeah. lineup. Yeah. So so you're the uh, you're the taste maker over yeah. here. You're the one who kind of who who well who you know gets them out there. You know. And um, 
would you say that that that, that is your favorite record on the label or or, or is it hard to I'm not going to say it's my favorite but it's one that I'm really proud of the mm-hmm. fact that John has such a big career and you know, I, I see him whenever he plays local, and they were on David Letterman when the new record came out, and I wrote yeah. him an email. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. It's yeah. just like, I tell everyone, I'm like, I put that guy's record out, and you right. know. So it's yeah. something I'm proud of for sure. Yeah, yeah. Do you look at the um, the history of Bio Records in eras? Like, is there, some, is there some timeline where you're like, oh, yeah, and then things started such and such that way? Like, or how do you look at the, the scope of the label? I don't know. I guess it was more fun in the beginning, towards the end when we were really trying to, I'm not saying like make it big, because that's not the right terms I want to use, but at the end it just got too mixed up and, uh, I don't know, other competition, we just fell by the wayside. Mm. And then distributors that were selling our stuff went out of business oh. and took our product and sent it to other people who would try to return it to us. So it was, it was a bad time financially. It was like a money yeah. bet. Yeah. That like, you know, there was no more money to be had. Right. Yeah. Did you keep the um the PO box for longer than the the label? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 I kept that PO box until I moved away out of town cuz I grew up in Union. When I moved away, I I got rid of it, but uh Yeah. It was there for a while. <laughs> and and how often would you get mail at it after the uh, even after the label had There was always stuff would trinkle and people want to buy stuff. We had it for a while. Yeah. Until it was in storage, and then we sold it all off for like you know pennies, right? Basically, sure, know. yeah. Well, you could s- see on uh, on eBay where where some of that stuff. Yeah, well, some of the out. records we put out, I felt that the demos that we signed the bands on were better, like the X Men record mm-hmm. and even the PMS record. I loved the demos, but then when we put them in the studio, it just wasn't yeah is exciting and it didn't transform yeah yeah sometimes that happens with bands too you just uh, some whether it's a performance thing or a mixing thing or it's more about the live yeah you you actually have to figure out how to capture a band to get them at their best and it may not necessarily be bring four people who've never been in the studio before into a studio and have them record separately you know um, yeah, I mean, Bio Records has such a, a, a huge history and, and so much character to it and all that. Um, I, I just, um, overall, I mean, I guess, I'm not sure what I'm trying to ask here. I guess I would just want to see what, in terms of other side things that you guys did, I mean, there were, sh- were the shows that you put on at the Union Rec Hall, were they a Buy Our Records thing, or was that more? No, I forget who, um, someone just gave me a DVD of all those shows, a lot really? of the bands playing there that I was watching yesterday, but wow, I forget, maybe Chris, someone knew somebody that just ran the rec center, and they let us have bands play there, Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was something, but uh, we would just do show. we were friends with Johnny Dirt. May he rest in peace at the yeah, Dirt Club. Yeah, I know. And Johnny was always kind to us. He would give us the late slots, but he let our bands play there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was definitely the home base. Yeah. And New Jersey was really pretty connected back then, too. It's funny. It's it's rare now if there's a show in New Jersey except for, like, Asbury Lanes. And now, as we were talking before, like, the Stanhope House is starting to have some shows. Right. Um and there's not really that many. I mean, there used to be the Court Tavern, and that's oh. still sort of, you The know. connections yeah. and pipeline were great for North Jersey. Yeah, there was, was a lot of stuff. And then, of course, Maxwell's, but that's always in the sort of the realm of New York yeah. gigs in a way. But there was so much going on in New Jersey. And and 
it may sound funny to listeners that there's, you know, like, oh, a New Jersey record label or a New Jersey hardcore label, but it was really viable and there was so much going on. It wasn't like, Sure, and there's, know. what, Mother Records from down the shore put out a bunch of records too yeah. early on. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, New Jersey does have its own little pocket in the American hardcore book and and all that. Did they? Did you get interviewed for that book? Mm-mm. No. No, I think we were. I think Jersey was glossed over a little bit. A little bit. Steve Blush kind of just. I, mean, I was friends with the guy, but it just kind of went. He, he wrote that. He wrote something like, "Hardcore girls from New Jersey were all ugly." In that. Whatever. So, and I was like, uh-huh. I can't even yeah, say what I want. We're on the air right now, so <laughs> I gotta, I gotta be nice and try not to swear. All right. Um, <laughs> We'll let um we'll let somebody else um uh imagine what you were going to say. Do you want to talk about what you um what you have queued up? We have you as a guest DJ, of course. Ah, yes, our first track. Yes, by one of my favorites, Turbo Negro. Awesome. I got a knife. This is from which record? The brand new one. Yeah, the sexual one. harassment. They have mm-hmm. a new singer who's great. And I'm a big fan of. Hank from Hell, but the new guy's great, and uh, I'm so psyched to go see them. Yeah, and that's funny because they're, you know, they're a very entertaining band. You get a new singer in a band like that, you you never know. Yeah, well, I'm excited to hear the uh, the older songs, but the new album is great. Yeah, it's well, very good. So my guest is Lenny Splendorio, and uh, we're gonna hear some Turbo Negro next. So tell us about what we just heard. Before that, the Stranglers, right? Yes. That's our connection where we met you and I, and we've always been fans. And they're playing in New York, you said, right? They are, yeah. Our Strangler story and how we met was better because that was at, uh, in New Jersey in, in West Orange. Creations, it's long gone. Yes, it's like a... I also saw Pat Benatar there. Really? When she first came out, yeah. So I saw the Plasmatics there. Uh, Actually, and they went shopping at Corvettes before, and a friend of mine worked in Corvettes, and I think sold them duct tape. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. yeah I'm not po- Actually, you know what? And I think he offered them his employee discount. That's great. You know, you see Richie Stotts walk in is there. Is that Caveman? No, that was Les, my friend who actually lives very close close by there. And um, did the strength, was, was Mona Riz... Oh, Wasmo Nariz opened for the Stranglers at that show. No, I don't, I don't and remember. And the, the keyboard player broke his neck. It was like February. It was really cold yeah, out. Yeah, I know it was wintertime. Yeah, it was wintertime, and the back steps were icy, and he fell down the steps after they played, and he broke his neck. Uh, or he broke a vertebrae in his neck. He didn't die. It wasn't one of those things. Even now, like 30 years later, Injuries aren't even as bad. It's like, oh, he broke his neck. He's fine. You know, <laughs> but like back then, you had anything that happened to you. So many things have just progressed. So, being a uh, being a, a Stranglers fan, so we'll see what they have <coughs> up their sleeves. Do you have any opinion on the uh, the current Black Flag controversy? No, I'd like to see both if they came around. I mean, it's um. Henry was my least favorite, so I'm happy he's not involved in either. I could care less about that. He's probably happy he's not. Des also. is my favorite Black mm-hmm. Flag singer, mm-hmm. I, you know. But I'd like to see the uh, the one with Ron Rice because they never toured over here. Right. First yeah. time they came over here, I saw Black Flag at the Showplace. Mm-hmm. There was hardly anyone there, and it was Des, Robo, Greg, and uh, Chuck Dukowski, and they played a killer set to about 20 people. It was wow! Amazing. Wow. Somebody has a fun Lenny fact. Let's see if I can read this on the air. Great. Lenny once did a stage dive at a Cindy Lauper concert in the early 80s. No. All right. Me and Rhino, my good friend mm-hmm. and brother, 
Steve Garlick. We we saw uh, Cindy Lauper in Union at Kane College just when all that big hoopla happened, and we had aisle seats. And I remember, during <laughs> girls just wanted to have fun. She was dancing down the aisle, and I think she grabbed Rhino's hands and they did a little dance together. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't, yeah there's no stage dive thing that I remember. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that was, was Rhino's that, cry for you to mention that. that I was think. Fun. Yeah, that, oh. I remember that. And that's really, to even admit that you went to see Cindy Lauper. Sure, I saw Blue Angel, her band before that, at, oh. uh, in Hillside. What was the name of that place? Englanders. Oh, Englanders. Which I saw Joan Jett there a few times. I saw and, Johnny uh, Thunders there. Yeah, Johnny Thunders. Yeah. Teardrop explodes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Indeed. anywho, that was, yeah. <laughs> the, the good old days. Hell yeah. Are you in touch with all of the Bayer Records bands or personnel from most of the bands? No, I, I wish I'm. Um, I'm in touch with Raging Slab, with John Spencer, um, of course the AOD guys, the FOD guys, uh, Big Stick. I just spoke to John Gill on the phone a few minutes ago. Um, of course the Skulls. I play with Charlie Pip. Mm-hmm. He's you know it's he created Devil House, uh, a legend. For sure, my man, Mr. Pip. I Charlie. give him a shout out. Yeah, and uh, who else? I, I don't. I don't have any contact with Electric Love Muffin, which I'd like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PMS haven't spoke to them, and Lucky Seven. But I know the Fieri brothers mm-hmm. get in touch with those guys. Oh, cool. X Men. I, I talked to uh, Greg. Uh, he is the owner of the Brighton Bar, great place down in Long Branch. Oh, they have really? a lot of great shows going down there. Brighton Bar is a really, it's a great little place in Long Branch. Yeah. And living in in New Jersey, it's it's uh, you realize how f- how small New Jersey is, but it's big too. You got to go to a show down there, and it's you know you have to really plan out your night it's and driving good. and yeah. all that stuff. We had yeah. the Saint Asbury Park is a nice right. place, and mm-hmm. uh, on well, Asbury Lane. Yeah, Asbury Lane. Yeah, yeah. I guess we still do have our our niche. It just it feels smaller. There used to be you know Hitsville and the uh, Capitol yeah. Theater and yeah. and or up around here. Like I said, uh, I miss connections and the pipeline yeah i mean that was a great club we had a a lot of good times down at the pipeline oh yeah for sure um did you do a lot of touring back in the day um i went on tour with aod in 1985 that was the great summer tour we were out for three months i was the roadie t-shirt guy and uh that was fun bedlam i went out once with them and we all got really sick. I remember being in St. Louis with a high fever, crying for my mommy in a hotel room. It was horrible. <laughs> so, but uh, in Florida, we went to a few times and played. Mm-hmm. But the AOD tour, that was, that was a lot of fun. I liked it. Any particular like, like favorite areas or, or any, any memories that really stay with you? Um, I like Texas when we played there with AOD. We had a lot of things I can't say on the air, probably, the good times, but uh, it, was, it, was, it was fun. Good and slightly illegal yeah, times. Yeah, it was, oh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, oh. Des Moines, Iowa, we played in a cornfield. Uh, AOD played in a cornfield, and uh, I can't even say, it just was wow. hallucinogenics and insanity and a lot wow. of fun, though. Wow. <laughs> but 1985, kids. <laughs> and I even remember, I guess, 
How long did it take for Bio Records to actually adapt that logo? There was the, um, the B and the... Not too long. Jim Dunleavy was a big fan of Ballantine Ale, and I would drink it a lot, too. Mm-hmm. And when you'd pop the uh, puzzle, ca- uh, the cap, there was a puzzle on the inside. Right, yeah. Kind of like, what was there? There was a, to- a game show years ago, like, where you had to figure that kind oh, of like stuff Oh, like concentration. Out. Exactly. So uh-huh. that's, uh, that's where it came from, because we would always, like, want to guess the little pies and buy our records. We had an art friend who put it together. Yeah. It was very fitting for the name, I think. It was. It was. And, you know, and, and it's funny because the name by our records, you would never, if you started a record label now, you could never use that because you'd have to, you would immediately look at what would come up if you Googled it. Oh, yeah. And by our records is, is such a, it's, it's such a punk name. People don't know what records. I was watching something, yeah. some show the other night, whether it was Jeopardy or whatever, and they were holding up a 45, and they're asking, do you know what this is? And some kid's like, uh, I guess they used that on early computers. I was like, wanted to blow <laughs> the TV up. I'm like, it's a 45. <laughs> uh. So so, uh, so, Devil House is your main thing now. Yes, oh, it and, is. And, you know, I did want to mention, because I didn't, I'm sorry, I mentioned that, but then in the set before you went on, um, I played a George's Dead track. I love George is Dead and uh, what was the, the story about my buddy George yeah I still yes. see George all the time it was that was a, a great run we had for a while but it mm-hmm. just kind of kind of fizzled out in the end there but uh it was fun it was real brutal punk rock the way I would like to think about George is Dead yeah George used to cut himself on stage yes and, he did and he, that kind of uh, I think he cut himself here no, I don't. I don't know. He I don't know. Break religious icons, start fires, bleed, uh, all the fun stuff we would do. Yeah. Make a mess, but we were always responsible for everything we did. I know. So, I know. But uh, it was it was good. We recorded some stuff. We put one CD out, and we have an, un, uh, another CD that never got released. Maybe someday. So well, so whatever ends up, you know. And, and uh, one of the listeners did say, you know, you should start a, a Kickstarter campaign for the uh, the Buyer Records compilation. Yeah, I mean that's it's an idea. I'd like to f- have a label do something since it would be a a fundraiser. It, it, you know, the music it needs to be out there. There's plenty of people that uh, can't listen to it because they can't buy it anywhere. Right. But I don't, don't want to just put it for free downloads. I want it to come out first where people could look at something, read the liner notes right, and as the history. A, as a document, yeah, for sure. Because that era is now very getting very documented. Isn't it funny in terms of like the, you know, the, the books on, on punk and hardcore and all that and there's I'm a, I'm still in contact with Jerry from uh the Honeymoon Killers. He lives in New Orleans now, and he's in a band called Chicken Shack, and I'm friends with him and his wife. On uh, That's the good thing about Facebook is yeah. you can contact people that you do want to talk to. Yeah, quickly, yeah. You know, like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Wait, shall we go into our next set? Sure. What are we starting with? we uh, got uh, Mr. Alice. A favorite of ours off the great album, Love It to Death. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite Alice Cooper album, so thank you for, yeah, my too, for playing this. My guest is Lenny Splendorio, and he is spinning the tunes. And we've got some Alice Cooper up next. Stay tuned.
And we have returned Lenny Splendorio, guest DJ. Tell us what we heard, Lenny. Let's see. Where did we start that set with? Caught in a Dream by Alice Cooper off the great Love It to Death record. And then uh, a band who's playing, Red Cross is coming. That song was called Uglier. Great, great band. Room Service off Dress to Kill, one of my, probably my favorite Kiss album. And it's like 35 years old. I just got an email from some group I belong to and said it came out like 35 years ago. Oh, wow. Do you and, feel that Kiss has gone too far? Uh, we, yeah, they're horrible now. It's, it's a shame, you know. <laughs> I was out with my buddy Eddie Trunk last night, who's the big Kiss fan. Yes. And uh, they, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, want nothing to do with him, and they barred him from any kind of new publicity that he was going to do for them. And he was, like, really hurt by it because really? he stood by them through thick and thin, through, through their whole all crap the periods. bad records, yeah. And now... Um, they just they, they badmouth him. So he wrote this long thing on his website, which is really great. It, it's all truth. It's just they're, they're, uh, they, they kind of ruined it for themselves. Wow. And they have the two fake members, so it's really not even Kiss. It's like fake Kiss. Well, I think that they're trying to, um, to generationalize Kiss. Like eventually they'll be gone and they'll replace themselves, but to just <laughs> keep the name and keep it going and just, you know, run it like a corporation. Like you, you're the CEO slash guitarist and you're the, the CFO slash bassist or whatever and actually keep it going like an interesting concept. You know, who else does that is the village people. Yeah. Like they still perform and I don't think there's any original members in it, but it's the cowboy and the construction worker. Yeah, and I guess the it's Indian. easier for them. But Yeah. It's know. almost as easy for Kiss, except that people know who it is. But eventually, that you know, maybe nobody will care. But as, as you get older, they look they look silly up there too. It's just not. They'd be better off just playing in street clothes. Yeah. But back in the day, they were. The well, they they were the superheroes back in the day. Sure. They were not. You know, they didn't play at like a small place where you know a lot of. DIY shows are at. It's like they're six feet up in yeah. the air and they're wearing eight inch boots. And I saw them 1975. My sister took me to uh, Convention Hall in Asbury Park to see Kiss. It was great. I was 12 years old. I loved it. <laughs> you used to play in, uh, I guess at some point, Bedlam was a five piece. Yeah. Like there were two guitars. Yeah, because that's when Steve Rhino was in the band with Tommy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and what do you prefer? Like playing with five three um f for bedlam i did like it was a five piece for a while even bruce wingate from aod played with us for a while mm -hmm. i liked it as a, a five piece because mm -hmm. when tommy would break strings <laughs> or uh, go off on some leads you know you'd have some rhythm going yeah mongoofy did this is for you mongoofy i know you're out there listening <laughs> you big Polak, i love you so uh and diane says you'll never be on the show just so you know <laughs> um but yeah Drink some O'Doul's, too. Have an O'Doul's tonight for me. <laughs> All right, it's enough of that. But, uh, yeah, the f I like the five-piece. You do? Maybe we'll play together this year. It's Bedlam is 30 years old, so uh, maybe we'll see if we could do. What are the chances of that happening? Man, me and Tommy want to do it. Mm -hmm. Have to talk Jim into doing it, and we'll see. How hard is it to talk Jim into things? Mm, kind of hard. It depends. Maybe. Really? maybe. Yeah. And we would get, uh, I don't know if Frank would do it, but uh, Mike, who plays... Uh, in Mental Decay, who plays bass, and he was in Sucks. He's a great player. Mm. He, he would probably play bass for us. Yeah. I'd like to do a show or two, just something like that. Doing, quote, reunions is so 
par for the course now. You're almost expected to, to play some shows after 20 years. Yeah, I know? love when a band will come out and do the entire album of something. Like, yeah. I think that's cool. Like Cheap Trick started that years ago. They did three nights and they did their one album and then in color and that that's cool when bands do that and uh devil house is a three-piece yes so how is that for you is it is it different for you structurally like when you play with a three-piece and with a five-piece no i love it this way it's like charlie and laurie they're a couple and i'm like uh i'm the third wheel i just get to sit back and i <laughs> i do my thing when we go to a diner to eat i get the whole side of the table to myself because the lovebirds <laughs> sit together and i love i love that so i'm like an old guinea charlie d drives to the gigs i sit in the back and i love it i love it as a three-piece we get along real well yeah i've been friends with charlie for like 30 years and you know it's it's a good thing yeah that's a very cute <laughs> sort of recollection i love it so it's all about going to the diner and getting oh, your side of the listen, table if they were here they'd be right now when we have band practice or a gig we're like going for soup mm -hmm. it's like soup and uh, pastries or something like that right. so, you know nice. it's definitely about that rock and roll and food mm -hmm. how long um because you've been in so many bands and have have had so many things going on like joke bands not band like What's the longest period of time you've gone without playing? I think in between, let me see, there was definitely, there was Priapism, mm -hmm. and then Bedlam. And then after Bedlam dissolved, I was in Sand in the Face for a while, and I really liked that. Mm -hmm. We recorded and everything, like a few songs, but nothing ever happened. And I wish I could uh, get in contact with those two. I have no way to do that. Mm. And then after that, it was a, that was a long break. It was a very long break until, um, I got married and I had my son, but uh, the, Hearse started up then. Okay. That, but that, that was quite a few years. And mm -hmm. after Hearse, a few years went by, and I worked at Vintage Vinyl with George, and uh, they, George's Dead was playing, but then they needed a drummer, and that's where I jumped back in the seat, and I played with them for a while. Oh, I thought that you were actually in on the formation of that band. No, there was uh, my friend Jeff was uh, the first drummer. I they had a, a few drummers and a few different guitar players. But uh, then I yeah played with George, mm -hmm. and then after that I was uh, retired again, until Charlie called me and, and asked me if he wanted yeah you know, and we were always going to get together and play and said do you want to get together with uh, him and Laurie and uh, that was great I needed that mm -hmm. there was a time where all I was doing was working and my dad got sick and passed away and right after that Charlie called me and I always say he rescued me he like said let's play and when did you start drumming? Um. It was like kind of by default when Scott, uh, the original drummer for Bedlam, good old Scott Frank, may he uh, rest in peace, mm -hmm. when he was in the band, there was just, he wasn't showing up for practice and this and that. And I think it came down to Jim was just like, just sit down, you know, you could play. And uh, that was it. I was kind of thrown in the seat. Did you have drums? No, at that time I didn't have drums. I just, well, just used whatever was there. Mm -hmm. Or we would share AOD stuff. Of course, we would play a lot of shows with AOD. Yeah. I think one of the first shows was at Danceteria. White Flag was headlining with mm. AOD and Bedlam opened up. <laughs> and they gave us an awful lot of beer. And we went out at like 1 o'clock in the morning and it was crazy. <laughs> so, uh, And was how it. was it with the awful lot of beer and playing that late? It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It was, it was whatever. It was, it was a Bedlam set. It was kind of chaotic, but it was fun. Mm -hmm. So how many drum kits have you owned over the years i had a few uh, i had this great i had a, um a vista light set oh, like john yeah. bonham had it in Led Zeppelin, those, and i yeah. sold that to my friend adrian mm -hmm. who uh he lives i don't know where he is in these days on the west coast and he still has the set 
So I'm glad he has it. And I had a little Gretsch set, and uh, I have a Thomas set that I have for a while. But I love playing uh, when I could use the house kit, and I just bring <laughs> the least amount of stuff. Oh, right, um, yeah. I make it work. I bring my sticks and my snare, and uh, I play on the house kit. Um, there's a question from a listener. It says, if Bedlam gets back together, would you kick Tommy out? <laughs> no, Tommy's staying. I'm going to feed him. He can drink whatever he wants and do whatever he wants. He, he's the, he's He's the man. You're you're in the more relaxed mode when when you go to reun- reunite. Yeah. yeah, I mean it would only be for a show or two. Right. If it was going to be forever, you could he kick would, him out on stage kick- in the middle of the reunion show. Well, someday if the Bedlam record <laughs> ever comes out, we broke up, and it was recorded. It was a rehearsal. We were playing a song. It was an instrumental. It started out as a Black Sambo song, mm-hmm. and then uh, we did it and renamed it. It was called. Uh, I don't know what it was called, but it was an instrumental. But we're playing it, and you could hear Tommy bang into the amp, and the amp falls over, and it just stops, and Jim's like, that's it. Tommy, you're out of the band. If there's anything broke, he's paying for it. He says to the guy at the studio, and the tape just ends. And So someday that'll end the CD. I had that tape, and I wouldn't listen to it for years. Not years, but a long time, because it was so awkward. I was like, I knew it was there, and I didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. But uh, That's actually really funny. My goofy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got time for your next set. Yeah, we're gonna s- we'll start out with a. We're getting. Yeah, some hardcore for you mm-hmm. kids out there. People are probably waiting fa- for that. My favorite. So please introduce the next. Song. My favorite Black Flag singer, mm-hmm. Des Kadena, doing the old six pack. Sing along. Run around your room in a circle for a few minutes, okay? I know it's early. I'm on vacation. I'm on spring break right now. So it's good for working at a school. I'm off this week. Very good. So Lenny Splendorio is my guest. And here's some Black Flag. Stay tuned. Turned. And yes, we are having so much fun here. Uh, my guest is Lenny Splendorio. Tell us why you played what you did. Okay, what did we start that last set with? Okay, Black Flag Six Pack. I think I talked about that. Mm-hmm. Just a great Des song. Always loved it, and I still think it sounds great today. Anyhow, followed by know. The Birthday Party, another great one. Yes. Remember, Diane, we saw them at the Peppermint Lounge, the second Peppermint Lounge. Yes, yes. You, me, and Janet went to see that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they were great. They were frightening. Uh, now I remember uh, Tracy Pugh, the bass player that passed yes. away. Uh-huh. He was just grinding his hips yeah. with his cowboy hat. He and, scared the crap out yeah, of me. Yeah, but they were great. And Roland yeah. S. Howard, and yeah. that, that was... Uh, well, so here's, here's the thing. Do you remember my friend Jamie went to that, too? 
Yes, okay. Yeah, right. so Jamie was there, and Jamie always had this thing where she liked to go backstage and talk to the bands, and I didn't necessarily like to do that. Right. And she's like, oh, I'm going to go backstage and talk to them. And I said, I don't want to talk to them. Like, they frightened me. <laughs> and she was back in two seconds. Sure. She was like, okay, let's go. They're nice guys. And she, to this day, still won't tell me what happened. Maybe and the baby ate her dingo. <laughs> <laughs> You never know <laughs> what that, but, but yeah, sure they were, uh, I'm so glad got to see the birthday party because oh, they I didn't bet. really yeah. play around here. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that's one of those shows that I tell people, you know, one of those bands that you tell people that you did see because they're a band that a lot of people didn't get uh, to. And it's like, Ooh, really? They were, they were Ooh. great. They were, and they were so gruesome live. There was just a, and it wasn't like anybody was doing anything shocking. They were just being themselves, but that combination was it was just, mm, I yeah. can't even, it was, it was just like this, like, sandpapering life. Like, it was just rough and just, yeah. Like, I can still remember, like, I just sort of felt like, like, the feeling, if you know you're going to be sick to your stomach, not that I was nauseous, but it was right. just like, oh, uh, like the whole show. They, like, they were just evil. Yeah. It was evil, good evil. That, the best. Is there anybody on the, uh, the Buyer Records roster that you thought should have been huge um well i mean raging slab had a run for a little while mm -hmm. uh, i don't know about huge I, I don't know i think the whole label i wish that we could have kept going as a label and kept putting out more records music even today right if you know it's just you didn't sign people because you thought they would be huge. No, we were we were fans. Just, yeah. We weren't businessmen, yeah. and that was a problem, I think. But we, you kept the label going for a really long time, considering you were not business-oriented. Figure 83 when Paul started till like, about 90, late mm -hmm. 89, 1990. It was a nice run. Yeah. And when people bring it up today, there's fans of it, and they really have good memories of it. So that makes me want to get the music out there so people could you know hear it and have it in their collections oh yeah absolutely is there a way um for people to get in touch with you um if they want to for listeners to i have a facebook page uh just you could write me questions through there i know that that label was such a laborious laborious thing for you and it was really the important thing going on in New Jersey at the time. And you were such a huge support for bands, you know, in the region. And you were the guy that, that would take a chance on people. So I just want to make sure that, that if there is somebody out there that, that would want to possibly do something with this compilation that you sort of are dreaming about doing sure. or, or to feel out if a Kickstarter thing were to happen or something like that, to be able to give you some feedback on it. You is know. any A&R people out there listening? Uh, <laughs> go die? No, <laughs> just really, call me. Say, does that is, even is, there, is that position still there, an A&R person? Yeah, I don't even know. And that's, you I'm know. holding my tongue right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just you could email me at Clean Lenny. And I did just want to, you know, to point out that, that you are really such a support for the area and for the for music for so long. It's you in know? my blood. It I'm, is. I'm music, it's, uh, it's in my car every day when I'm driving. If you're sitting in traffic, at least you could listen to some music and mm -hmm. just kind of block everything else out. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I just wanted to acknowledge you for that and, and, uh, and thank you in the work that you're doing with the, um, the uh, United by Autism. Yeah, is, that, uh, yeah. I mean, super. it's. Uh, I've been working at this school for seven years now. I work with a lot of great kids, and uh, it's good. I mean, it's it's ever since my son was diagnosed early, mm -hmm. at, at like two and a half years old, and he's eighteen now. Wow. And it's uh, 
It's it's in my blood for sure, yeah. along with the music. And thanks for having me here too, Di. Di uh, you're, you've been a fan forever. We've been friends forever. So uh, very happy to be here. Yeah, it's very comfy. The uh, the next thing that we're going to hear from Mr. Lenny, the DJ. Another band that I grew up loving, Cheap Trick, off their first album. Uh, we're going to hear Hot Love. Awesome. So stay tuned. <laughs> Lenny, thank you for playing black metal. Well, like I told you uh, off the air, <laughs> you turned me on to Venom a million years ago. You made me a cassette, and I still have it uh, with your handwriting on it of uh, Welcome to Hell and Black Metal. It's like, God. <laughs> Which I totally don't remember, although I have, I used to work out to black metal. And it, like with a, you know, a, a Walkman, I remember one time being on like a rowing machine oh, at the YMCA, <laughs> just like doing that. And then like the cord, the cable of the Walkman, like just got unplugged. And you know, when you unplug the Walkman, then it's loud. And I'm in, it's like black metal. <laughs> But it's funny because when you got me into Venom, then I started to get into other stuff from that time. And we were on tour that summer with AOD. Whoever drove the van got to play what they wanted to. So I remember playing Venom all the time in the morning. Or like Slayer <laughs> Hell Awaits came out, and I loved it. And I would be awesome. blasting that in the morning. Everyone was like, turn this off, please. <laughs> uh, no, no, they can't take it. And then um, I think I, I may have told you... Um, Venom played on the um, that seventy thousand tons of metal cruise that I went on. Yeah, yeah. The one uh, last like a like a year and a couple of months ago, um, and they're great now. They're really they're it's just Kronos and two ringers, like two young guys who can really play. So uh. they're they're good. And at one point in between songs, there was just like a you know like a quick break, and some girl goes, "Kronos, I love you," and he just goes, "Ugh." why like and he just totally <laughs> there was no black metal voice he just kind of uh, oh like you poor woman like what are you talking about uh, and it was funny because then we w when we would stop on the the cruise and go to the beach and stuff there was i forget where we stopped but we stopped somewhere where we did we couldn't land directly like on the dock we had to take like the little boats from right. the ship to the shore and and chronos was on my boat and i remember just like looking like he's wearing flip-flops oh he's like a regular guy and people were asking to get their picture taken with him and he's like no you know like he was still being chronos like yeah. like i could still rock like the evil mean chronos thing even though i'm on the beach and i'm wearing shorts and sandals and you know with satan yeah and you're <laughs> not getting a picture of me like this you know but uh so much respect for him yeah. so thank you oh uh, thank, thank you. you a billion trillion times for being here 
you know, you make the afternoon great, and thank you for everything that you do on the, you know, just on the aspect of music, and then in the the world of autism as too. I'm sure you're a huge contribution, and uh, you know, people do all types of things to raise money, and this sure. is a, a well, great thing. So you can the other day was uh, World Autism Day, but I say, well, it's every day for me is that, so it's just it's the way it is. But right. thank you to all the listeners and uh, for having me here. I had a great great time. <laughs> And that concludes another podcast episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. More on the way. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and my Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze. Kamikaze ends with an E. On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life and Making a Difference. The full link to my uh, index of shows and podcasts is can be found on wfmu.org slash playlists slash DK. Those are, that's a capital D and a capital K for an expanded version with lots and lots of music, wisecracks and fun stuff. I'm going to be working on encore presentations and I've got years of old interviews and podcasts. So if there's something that you'd like to see reposted that you missed, please get in touch. Send me email, diane at wfmu.org. And be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you like it, please rate it and review it. Wow. WFMU. Peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.